The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with stocks snapping a seven-day win streak as investors await new guidance from Fed Chairman Jay Powell. Then we turn to safety reassured. EU regulators, they are coming over new data surrounding the AstraZeneca Oxford University COVID-19 vaccine. Its use remains suspended across the continent. And a strong stance, the U.S. laying out its policy when it comes to relations with China as top officials prepare for their first face-to-face meeting. And a big win for Uber drivers in the U.K. after a landmark legal victory. And last but not least, Elon Musk reversing course on his plan to jump into that red-hot NFT space. It is Wednesday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan, kicking off your Wednesday and your St. Patrick's Day with the stock futures. Let's take a look. The futures pretty much flat across the board. We're seeing the Dow up slightly, the S&P pretty much actually down slightly as well, along with the Nasdaq. Um, All these averages coming off a mostly lower session yesterday, the Dow snapping its longest win streak since August, the S&P coming off its first down day in six. All of this ahead of a key Fed decision out at 2 p.m. Eastern time today, followed by a Jay Powell press conference 30 minutes later. Investors looking for any indication the central bank may change course in the face of a growing U.S. economy and rising inflation. Former Fed Governor Sarah Bloom Raskin on this show yesterday laying out her expectations for Powell and company. And I'd really be paying attention to the language that uh, Chairman Powell uses in his press conference today. He's going tomorrow. He's going to have a lot of questions and, 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 and how he answers those questions, particularly as they relate to this um, slight tightening in short-term interest rates, both in treasury markets as well as in some corporate bond markets. That's what we're going to want to listen to and hear his level of concern. And just like everybody else on Wall Street, we are keeping a close eye on those short-term yields. You see the 10-year right now at 1.632, up slightly ahead of the Fed meeting. Now turning our attention to global markets all around the world, Asia also in a bit of a holding pattern ahead of today's Fed decision and press conference. Europe just getting its trading day started, with Germany's DAX coming off a record close. Germana Bersetti, she's live in our London newsroom with much more. Good morning, Germana. Morning, Frank. Well, if you were looking at European indices today, you wouldn't realize it was St. Patrick's Day because there's absolutely no green on the board, as you mentioned. There's still a lot of nervousness for European investors ahead of that Fed meeting. So all eyes on that event later today. FTSE 100 in the UK down about three-tenths of a percentage point. We are seeing major declines in basic resources stocks, energy names, some of the travel and leisure companies also coming under selling pressure 
Up at the top, though, we do have some of the telcos like BT and Vodafone leading the charge this morning after committing to spend more than £1.3 billion to expand the 5G network in the UK. But you can see the Cacarant and the DAX trading on the back foot. But I want to take you to the auto sector today in Europe. New car sales for the month of February came in down 20% year on year. That being said, look at the performance of some of the autos today. We've got BMW leading the charge up 4.5 percentage points. Volkswagen as well, up about 2.8 percentage points. Both of these automakers are saying that the outlook for 2021 is actually still profitable. Uh, They forecast a major expansion in their margins as well as an increase in demand for their vehicles. So the mood for autos, at least today in Europe, is pretty positive, Frank. Germano Versace, live in our London newsroom. We appreciate it. All right, turning our attention back home now. Another busy day in D.C. as President Biden meets virtually with his counterpart from Ireland on the heels of new U.S. intelligence over 2020 election interference. This meeting will be held virtually this year because of, uh, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic, a bit of a change from previous years. All right. Turning to today's other top business stories, Uber will reclassify all of its drivers in the U.K. as workers. The change comes as the ride-sharing company has spent millions fighting regulatory challenges all around the globe, including against AB5, the gig economy law in California. Over 70,000 U.K. drivers will now receive benefits, including minimum wage and pension contributions. And just months after going public through a SPAC, Lordstown Motors will look to respond to allegations of fraud in its Q4 earnings call today. It's first as a publicly traded company. Short-selling firm Hindenburg Research recently accused the electric truck maker of having no sellable product and thereby misleading investors. The company stock slid 16 percent on that report. On Monday, Lordstown CEO Steve Burns, he responded to the claim saying, quote, there's always haters. And Sweden and Latvia becoming the latest European countries to pause the rollout of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. This comes as the European Medicines Agency continues to investigate the more than 30 blood clots reported after that vaccine was administered, with findings expected to be released tomorrow. More than 7.3 million shots of the AstraZeneca vaccine have been administered across Europe to date. All right, turning our attention back home, another busy day in D.C. as President Biden meets virtually with his counterpart from Ireland on the heels of a new U.S. intelligence report over 2020 election interference. NBC's Tracy Potts joins us now from Washington with much more on this. Good morning, Tracy. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. So it's St. Patrick's Day uh, traditionally and is happening today. The president will meet with the Irish prime minister. They have issues to talk about. But we begin today with immigration and this growing situation at the border. The Homeland Security Secretary on Capitol Hill sure to be grilled about that today. As President Biden prepares for a virtual meeting with Ireland's prime minister on the St. Patrick's Day, his administration faces increasing pressure over the growing number of migrants piling up at the U.S.-Mexico border. There have been more than 1,000 new entries in the last week and 4,000 unaccompanied children now in Border Patrol custody. She cries and is scared, but before she wasn't like that. She was very happy. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas testifies before a Senate committee today. He says we're on pace to see the largest influx in 20 years. It's getting worse because of President Biden's policies. Uh, What President Trump was doing was working. President Biden tells ABC he's been clear. I can say quite clearly, don't come. And what we're in the process of getting set up, don't leave your town or city or community. 
Today, Democrat and Republican senators meet to decide whether to focus on immigration, the minimum wage, or infrastructure. This as the director of national intelligence releases a new report that Russia, not China, interfered to get President Trump reelected. Russia has these really brazen, high impact, high visibility efforts. Meanwhile, in the background, China's playing a much slower, quieter game. The report found that Russian President Vladimir Putin personally authorized efforts to undermine public confidence in the election. A new reaction this morning from the Russian embassy. They claim that this report is just full of groundless accusations, Frank. Yeah, um, a lot to follow there, Tracy. Um, Just kind of switching gears a bit. I was Googling, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the president's had a news conference in nearly two months. Do you see one coming soon? More than 50 days. It's a record. No president in the last century has gone this long without a news conference. Now, the White House argues that he does Q&A almost every day, uh, but a formal news conference, questions from the press, that hasn't happened in a while, but it's scheduled now for next Thursday. All right, Tracy Potts with the very latest in D.C. We appreciate it. Thank you, Tracy. All right, turning our attention back to the market, stocks in a holding pattern ahead of today's Fed decision. Investors will be watching how the central bank navigates continued gains in the economy and the markets while inflation fears they're percolating in the background. For much more on this, I'm joined by Ryan Payne, president of Payne Capital Management. Good morning, Ryan. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Frank. So I got to ask you, uh, you are a little bit of a contrarian. So whether the Fed will keep its inflation target at 2 percent, that's a question we don't know yet. But your thesis is that inflation is going to rise no matter what the Fed does. And it's actually a good thing. Can you explain it? And what kind of companies will benefit? Yeah, well, I think first off, you got to remember the Fed controls short term rates, longer term rates. I would say the bond gods control longer-term rates. And right now, if you look at it globally, interest rates are rising. The 10 years up to 1.6%. And I think why that's so remarkable is that's higher, Frank, than we were when the pandemic started. You know, January was the last time of 2020, is the last time we saw 1.6% on the Treasury. So I think one thing that we've seen here as a theme is, you know, you've seen the economy recovering at warp speed. You know, we have Operation Warp Speed, and we've seen over 100 million Vaccine uh, shots taken already in the U.S. And what that says is the economy is recovering quicker than expected. And if that's the case, inflation is probably going to continue to run hot. It's been running hot, but I think that trend is going to continue here. All right. So you're saying it's running hot, but over the last 12 months, it's about 1.7 percent. So actually below the target. So you're saying it's going to go well over that 2 percent. What kind of uh, sorry, what sectors do you see benefiting from that? Is there one sector that will especially see a gain from this inflation? Well, the one thing I've been talking a lot about, especially on this show, is cyclicals. You know, anything like energy, financials, anything that's more economically sensitive. And oil specifically, when you look at global oil consumption, that's the most sensitive to what the economy is actually doing. So if you look at like Exxon, for instance, which is up over 50 percent this year already, it's going to be they have the highest their, their costs are, are the most set, the fixed costs. Their fixed costs are very, very are set already. So anytime oil goes higher, it goes right to the bottom line. For energy companies. So anything like energy, if interest rates continue to go higher, that benefits the bank's balance sheet. So anything that's more sensitive to the economy, like cyclicals, that's the place you want to have your money right now. Any other sector that you see benefiting from this inflation? Um, Anything cyclical, consumer discretionary. I mean, look, once the economy reopens and it's happening quick, 
We're going to be outside. We're going to be buying more things with all those stimulus checks that have been bestowed upon the economy. So, you know, anything that's consumer discretionary is going to be another place where I'm going to be traveling, going to restaurants, flying, all those areas of the economy, which have already had a nice boost here. That's a longer term trend as the economy reopens. So you're seeing inflation rising. But my question to you is how much of that is tied to a successful vaccine rollout by the end of Q2? Uh, I think a lot of it hugely uh, connected to that. But I think the thing is, if you look at most economists on Wall Street right now, and economists, they're a cynical bunch, Frank. You know, they're always looking at things you know, more negatively. And look, I know you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I am. It's OK to have a healthy dose of cynicism. But I think the one thing we've learned here is any sort of, you know, and anything with the vaccine related where you know, the rollouts hasn't worked out as well, like AstraZeneca right now, we're having issues in Europe. Uh, that's been a slow up in the process is we've gotten around that. And what we've seen is the economy, again, has started to reopen quicker than was anticipated. So I expect that rollout to be the surprises and the positive, not the negative, even if you get a couple speed bumps along the way. All right. Ryan Payne from Payne Capital Management. We appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. All right. When we come back to Worldwide Exchange, forget about Silicon Valley, how the overseas homes of the likes of Facebook, Google, Salesforce, PayPal, Apple, and many more is looking to attract even more business post-Brexit and and succeeding even in the times of COVID-19. Plus, much more on the vaccine rollout overseas and how any setback for the AstraZeneca vaccine could become a setback for the entire world. And later, how the Biden administration is looking to reset relations with the world's second largest economy ahead of a face-to-face meeting tomorrow. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Welcome back. President Biden will hold a virtual summit today with Ireland's prime minister to mark St. Patrick's Day and the bilateral relationship between Washington and Dublin. The U.S. is the largest trading partner for Ireland, accounting for 30 percent of export sales last year. Let's talk more about how Ireland is working to attract foreign investment amid the challenges of the covid pandemic and Brexit. Martin Shanahan is CEO of IDA Ireland, the government sponsored agency that works with uh, that works to attract and even retain businesses. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Frank. All right. Great to have you here. So I think a lot of our viewers, they may be surprised. I know I didn't know uh, that Ireland actually has 1,500 multinational corporations that are either headquartered there or have major facilities there. And we're talking some big names like Facebook, Google, Johnson and Johnson. How do you attract them and why are they coming to Ireland? 
I think probably a number of reasons. The first, undoubtedly, is talent. That's the number one conversation that we have with these companies when they're thinking about Ireland. And I think it's those countries and companies that can attract, develop and re retain talent will be the most successful in the future. Our pro-enterprise policies, which we've had for decades, I think are a major att uh, attraction. It's easy to do business in Ireland. Obviously, we have a very consistent transparent and competitive corporation tax rate and regime at 12.5%. Uh, all of those things add up. And uh, the fact that we're English speaking and access to the European Union, always, uh, also a, a key attractor, I think. Let's talk about that corporate tax rate for a minute. Here in the U.S., it's about 21%. You mentioned there it's about 12.5%. How big of a driver is that for these companies? And are there other factors that you think, besides taxes and talent, that bring them to Ireland? Yeah, un undoubtedly the fact that we have a very um, competitive rate um, is, is uh, an attraction. But I think the fact that it's stable, uh, you know, the stability of our regime and our rate over many years is probably the key driver uh, and that stability around pro-enterprise policies. So we've made it very easy for businesses to do business in Ireland. Investment in research and development by the state, very strong uh, entrepreneurship in Ireland as well. We've seen uh, recently uh, Stripe, uh, founded by two Irish uh, uh, guys, um, do phenomenal things in Silicon Valley and amazing funding round recently and amazing valuations uh, and all of that talent available here in Ireland. So you're mentioning Stripe. Obviously, that's a fintech company. But in general, about two thirds of the businesses that have headquarters or big facilities there, they're either tech, pharma or medical device companies. Are you looking to diversify the type of companies you're attracting going forward? So we've really targeted those sectors which we believe underpin a modern economy. So technology, pharmaceuticals, medical technologies, as you've mentioned, international financial services, engineering, and food is a significant industry in Ireland also. And those sectors have proven extraordinarily resilient actually during this period, particularly over the last year. Uh, we only saw a 6% drop in investments in 2020 despite the global pandemic and Ireland posted positive GDP growth, uh, modest at 3.4% last year, but positive nonetheless. So these sectors that we have targeted over many years uh, really uh, have um, uh, played out well for us. Uh, I think what we see is a wall of digitization coming at all sectors at this point, and uh, that and sustainability and the green agenda. They're the two things that we're focused on at the minute. So, Martin, clearly you're trying to continue to attract businesses. Let's circle back to taxes just for a minute. Uh, Janet Yellen and other global leaders, they've talked about a minimum uh, multinational corporation tax um, that would perhaps reduce the ability of you to attract people because people wouldn't have to shop around for a tax rate. How would that impact your business? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the first thing to say is we believe that the OECD process, which um, uh, Janet Yellen is commenting on and feeding into, is the right process. Uh, you know, it will address uh, tax avoidance at a global level, and we believe that's much preferable to individual countries or individual blocks going it uh, alone. I think we're a long way off understanding the detail of what exactly will come out of that process. The hope is that there will be political agreement by mid-year. Uh, you know, the, the focus has been on uh, in pillar two of this process around minimum taxes, but there's also a focus in pillar one around how substance and some attribution uh, to market in terms of uh, tax take uh, will be provided for. And once we get political agreement, we'll have to see what uh, the technical uh, underpinning for that is. So we're a long way off, I think, really understanding uh, what impacts it'll have on any country, including Ireland. 
All right, very interesting stuff. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day to you, Martin. And by the way, happy beautiful view of the Emerald Island and great tie. You and I have almost the same tie on. Have a great day. Thank you for wearing your green, uh, Frank. <laughs> had to, had to. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, not for sale. Why Elon Musk is backtracking on his efforts to jump into that red-hot NFT game and back to work and back in the air. How major U.S. airlines are handling the spring break surge in travel. We are back right after this. Today's big number, $131 trillion. That's the total investment needed to meet global climate goals by 2050, according to the International Renewable Energy Agency. That's a 30% increase over currently planned commitments. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the very latest. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Philip. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you, Frank. Good morning. A suspect has been arrested in a shooting spree that left eight people dead in metro Atlanta. A massage parlor and two spas within a 30-mile radius were targeted. Six of the eight victims are confirmed to be Asian women. That's according to our Atlanta affiliate WXIA. The shootings come at a time of increased hate crimes targeting Asian Americans across the country. President Biden made his strongest comments yet about New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is facing multiple allegations of sexual harassment and inappropriate conduct. Let me ask you about Governor Cuomo of New York. I know you said you want the investigation to continue. If the investigation confirms the claims of the women, should he resign? Yes, I think he'd probably end up being prosecuted, too. Governor Cuomo is facing accusations from seven women. He has denied touching anyone inappropriately, but has apologized for any past behavior that may have made people uncomfortable. And finally, some good news from golf legend Tiger Woods. He's out of the hospital. Three weeks after his SUV crashed off a road in California, Woods released a statement writing, happy to report that I am back at home continuing my recovery. Woods went on to thank the staff of the hospitals he was in and says that he is working on getting stronger every day. Frank, so some fantastic news there. It sounds like Tiger's health is improving. Yeah, amazing news there. I mean, great to see Tiger on the, on the road back to recovery. Obviously, a lot of serious injuries. I really wish we were going to see him in the Masters coming up next month, but hopefully next year. Philip yeah, Mena. we're just we're just happy to have him with us after seeing that horrific crash. Absolutely, man, absolutely. Philip Mana, happy St. Patrick's Day. Great to see you as always. All right, same to you. All right, still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. While why record low rates are only part of the story in today's hot housing market, our Diana Olick is here to break down what you need to watch. Plus, if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, just go ahead and do it. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And creating an inclusive economy is all about expanding opportunities so more people can achieve success. The CNBC Inclusion Forum examines strategies and initiatives helping to create equity for all. Join TIAA's Roger Ferguson, Aerial Investments' Melody Hobson, former SEC Commissioner Roel Campos, and many more at 1 p.m. Eastern Time tomorrow for a can't-miss discussion. Check out the full lineup and register now at cnbcevents.com slash inclusion. We'll be right back.
Countdown to the Fed. Stocks in a holding pattern as investors await the central bank's latest policy decision and insight on rates or inflation. The Biden administration expected to take a blunt approach as it prepares for its first high-level meeting with China. We're live in Washington with a preview. And the rebound in mortgage rates and what the uptick could mean for the red-hot housing market. It is Wednesday, March 17, 2021, St. Patrick's Day. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. Here's how stock futures are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Uh, the markets across the board, flat to slightly lower. We're seeing the Nasdaq a bit lower right now. And all the major averages are coming off a mostly lower session yesterday with the Dow snapping a seven-session win streak that was its longest since August. The 10-year, we're always watching it. That yield holding right at 1.637, up slightly this morning ahead of that Fed policy decision due out at 2 p.m. Eastern time today, then followed by a Jay Powell press conference at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. Investors watching for any language to suggest the Fed is concerned or even considering action on rising short-term rates or inflation. As it stands this morning, results from the latest CNBC Fed survey say expect asset purchase to begin slowing in the fall with a rate hike a year later. Now to your morning's other top stories. Palantir CEO, he's offering some sharp criticism for Wall Street, speaking with CNBC's Wilford Frost as part of an event hosted by the Executives Club of Chicago. Alex Karp says there's too much emphasis on near-term gains at the expense of developing healthy, long-lasting companies. Palantir, we, we fought large bureaucracies for the good of this country, I believe, and to some extent won. And we are, to some extent, battling away with short-termism on Wall Street, which I think is one of the most destructive, corrosive attributes of an, of an otherwise uh, interesting and largely functioning system. We told the Wall Streeters to, that we will, we, will, we, we, will, we, will be fo- we will focus on building the long-term health of our company, that we are going to invest uh, in, our, in, our, in our product development and in our clients, uh, uh, it, first and foremost, uh, and then, you know, you just have to battle it out with them. JetBlue is calling flight attendants back to work as the travel industry faces increasing demand, according to a company memo that was seen by CNBC. The airline has told employees who took a two-month leave of absence scheduled for April and May they should now report back a month early. The move comes a day after several airline CEOs, including JetBlue's, reported that bookings are on the rise extending into the summer. And Chime is reportedly preparing for a stock market listing. According to Reuters, the fintech company held preliminary talks with banks about going public as more people. They've taken their banking online amid the COVID-19 pandemic. The report says Chime could be valued at more than $30 billion by the end of the year. And as investors await comments from Fed Chairman Jay Powell, they will be keeping a close watch on key housing data that comes out later this morning. Those figures coming during the continued uptick in mortgage rates from historic lows Our Diana Olick has more on the big shifts in housing. Good morning, Diana. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, a lot more housing data coming out today after big news yesterday from the home builders. And the continued headline, as you said, is mortgage rates. They continue to rise and took another move higher yesterday. They're way up in the past months. That's really hitting affordability, not to mention the ability to refinance and get any savings. More than half of borrowers today have rates below 4%. That, according to Black Knight. So with the average on the 30-year fixed around 3.4%, those folks don't get any savings. We'll see how refis and 
purchase mortgage applications due for the week. That's out in about two and a half hours. We also get housing starts and building permits at 830. No question, the market needs more houses. We are at record low supply of existing homes, which has put prices up 10% year over year. As for the builders, Lennar reported very strong earnings for its first quarter. Executive Chairman Stuart Miller said he's not concerned with the uptick in mortgage rates, noting in a release that strong personal savings rates during the pandemic, strong stimulus from the government, and solid household formation continue to drive demand, while the housing shortage, driven by 10 years of production shortfall, defines a constrained supply. Now, Lennar has raised prices along with the other builders, and builder costs, however, have risen dramatically. That caused a drop in builder sentiment this month. So a lot of news out there in housing and, of course, more to come, Frank. Yeah, certainly a lot of news there, Diana. So I think the question is, with rising rates, are there still people who can benefit from a refi? There definitely are, in fact, several million. Now, while half of borrowers probably wouldn't be able to benefit at today's rates, if you can save at the very least 50 basis points, more like 75 basis points. So if you can get from, you know, 5% down to 4%, that's great. And there are still some people who are up in that 4% range. But as rates, of course, continue to edge higher, fewer and fewer people are going to be able to benefit from those savings. And that savings usually translates into consumer spending. All right, Diane Olick with the very latest on the housing market. We appreciate it. Thank you. Now to the latest on the first high-level meeting between the U.S. and China under the Biden administration as the two sides prepare to come together in Alaska tomorrow. Kayla Tausche has more on what to expect in that sit-down. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning, Frank. Well, Biden administration officials will meet with their Chinese counterparts in Anchorage, Alaska on Thursday, the first high-level engagement as the U.S. seeks to open a line of communication with Beijing, even as the broader China relationship is underway. The Secretary of State Antony Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan will meet with China's state counselor and its party commission president. Among the topics being discussed, human rights issues in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, aggression toward Taiwan, malicious cyber activity and broadly economic coercion against the U.S. and its allies around the world. Senior administration officials said the meeting will serve to set expectations from the new White House. There will be no joint statement or deliverables to announce. The U.S. says it's simply not there yet and that the meeting itself is a one-off despite Beijing promising it's the beginning of regular consultations. The U.S. says it's focused on deeds, not words in any future engagement. But just this week, the U.S. and Japan had some harsh words for China. In a joint statement acknowledging that China's behavior, where inconsistent with the existing international order, presents political, economic, military, and technological challenges to the alliance and international community. The White House is resetting its relationship with China with a strategic study of its military posture, trade policy, and much more that officials say could last up to six months. And just last night, senior administration officials said, don't expect much to change this week, that after this summit, it's not confident it can persuade China of the error of their ways and the righteousness of ours in just a matter of hours. Frank. So, Kayla, you say a strategic review of the relationship. That's going to take months to complete. But after hearing that statement from the White House and Blinken speaking in Japan yesterday, saying China is, quote, raising tensions, not diminishing them when it comes to activities in Taiwan, the East and South China Seas, it kind of sounds like they're already taking a very aggressive and perhaps even an offensive tone. 
They are, and they certainly want China to know that the U.S. is on alert, that it is aware of what has been going on for the last several years. And to be sure, the Biden administration received high-level briefings from the Trump administration during the transition about exactly what led to the hard line that the Trump administration, its uh, State Department, and its National Security Council, uh, and its trade offices took throughout the duration of Trump's tenure. So they have a lot of information to work with, but they just don't want to put policy in place quite yet. And it's going to be a broad portfolio. It's going to run across every single agency. And the Biden administration wants to be sure that before it takes any concrete policy steps, it knows exactly what it's doing. Uh, but it does feel confident enough to at least rhetorically speak out against Beijing, Frank. All right, Kayla Tashi with the very latest looking ahead to that first meeting between the Biden administration and China. We appreciate it. All right, still coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, your morning's big money movers, including the accounting move that has shares of plug power selling off. But first, as we had to break, some of your other top stories. A former Goldman Sachs executive has been revealed as the buyer of late convicted sex criminal Jeffrey Epstein's New York City mansion. A spokesperson for Michael Daffy confirmed his client was the mystery buyer who paid $51 million for the property. LeBron James has raised his stake in the Boston Red Sox parent company, Fenway Sports Group, the move is seen as the latest step by the basketball star to eventually own a sports team. And Elon Musk has said no thanks to a $1 million offer to buy one of his tweets as an NFT. Musk said it just doesn't feel right selling the non-fungible token, which also included an accompanying song and video clip. Only Elon Musk. Worldwide Exchange. He's back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on some of the big stock movers today. Let's start with Plug Power. The company says it will have to restate financial results from 2018 onward. The company spotted errors in accounting mostly related to non-cash items, including how it classified some cost. But no misconduct was found. Shares down more than 20 percent in early trade. Coupa Software swung to a surprise-adjusted profit in the fourth quarter. Sales also topping Wall Street estimates. Subscription revenue rising 37% above the guidance range. Coupa also sees first-quarter revenue coming in ahead of consensus. Those shares up 2% this morning. CrowdStrike posting better-than-expected fourth-quarter results. The security software maker also projecting first-quarter revenue above analyst estimates. The company expects to top $1 billion in revenue for the year. Those shares up more than 6%. And shares of Eastman Kodak, they're sliding this morning. They're down. The company reporting a wider annual loss, while revenue was pretty much flat from a year ago. Kodak also filing to sell more than $40 million in new, sh- new stock. Those shares down just about 2.5% this morning. All right, back to another developing story this morning and the backlash against the AstraZeneca Oxford University COVID-19 vaccine. 17 countries, including Germany, Austria, Estonia, Latvia, Luxembourg, France, Spain, a lot of big countries in Europe keeping their suspensions of the vaccine in place despite assurances from EU regulators the shot is safe and is not directly linked to the roughly 30 cases of blood clots in individuals who have received the vaccine. The European Medicines Agency will release its final findings tomorrow, but maintains, quote, that the benefits continue to outweigh the risk. But this is a serious concern and it does need serious and detailed scientific evaluation. Joining me now with more on what's at stake, Stat News senior writer Ed Silverman. Good morning, Ed. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. So, Ed, we really appreciate your insight on this topic. So let's begin. Um, If there actually is something wrong with this vaccine or there appears there may be something wrong with this vaccine, 
What does it mean for the global vaccination effort? And even here in the U.S., we've stockpiled about 10 million doses of that AstraZeneca vaccine. Well, if, and again, that's a big if, because we've not gotten any scientific analysis yet from regulators or others looking into this, um, it could be a big problem, at least for many of the big economies that you just mentioned in Europe, because so many of those countries had bet on getting the AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca vaccine into the arms of their citizens by now and over the next several weeks and months. So if there is an issue with that, that means there's going to have to be quickly, uh, everyone's going to have to quickly pivot to get more deals with some of the other vaccine manufacturers. Um, but it's easier said than done, of course, because these manufacturers are already under pressure to ramp up production as quickly as possible to get vaccines out to countries with which they already have contracts. And they're going to have to then suddenly find ways to develop or rather produce even more to compensate for what is needed in Europe and elsewhere. So you can see right away that the global effort to try and vaccinate everybody and develop herd immunity from corner to corner around the world is going to get slowed down dramatically very quickly. All right, but again, so, that's so Ed, important to remind everyone that on Thursday, European regulators, they're going to release their findings. Right now, we don't have a definitive answer. You said it, but we want to make sure we say there is no definitive answer about this blood clot issue. But I want to ask you, you said everybody's going to have to try to find more vaccine. Is everybody in the same boat? Are big countries like Germany and the biggest economy in Europe, as well as developing countries who get the vaccine from the WHO, are they in the same boat and will they feel the same impact? Well, it varies around the globe, of course. It, to the extent that AstraZeneca got a big jump last year because the company has been working with Oxford University in the UK. So there was some cachet there. And the Oxford University folks were talking it up last year. And there was a lot of excitement as a result. Uh, the European Union struck a deal last summer with AstraZeneca initially for 300 million doses. So right away, there was a lot of anticipation that AstraZeneca's vaccine would be a savior. And as a result, uh, as I mentioned before, many countries were, were counting on this. But there have also been uh, deals with other manufacturers, of course. So it's not necessarily uniform effect everywhere you look. Um, the problem is that these countries are going to have to uh, rely on, as I said, other manufacturers. Um, but there's also another wrinkle here, which is that the World Health Organization, working with some nonprofits and foundations last year, launched a program they call COVAX, which is designed to get vaccine to more than 90 low- and middle-income countries around the world that can't easily afford to pay up like wealthier countries can and do their own deals. And COVAX made a deal with AstraZeneca early on so that the AstraZeneca vaccine would be made by other, uh, other companies in other countries. A big example, the Serum Institute of India. And these other deals were supposed to facilitate the supply and distribution of the vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, to these dozens of other countries. And so if these countries can't get the vaccine through COVAX, well, they also suffer the same kind of setback that wealthy nations do in trying to get their citizens inoculated and achieve some degree of herd immunity. So you can see the ripple effects when you add all that up and step back, look at the planet as one big challenge. 
uh, definitely a serious situation there, Ed. It sounds like developing nations would have an even harder time pivoting to a different vaccine because they were counting on this AstraZeneca vaccine through the WHO. So I think a lot of us here in the U.S. are wondering, why was the AstraZeneca vaccine the vaccine of choice in Europe and for these other developing nations? Here in the U.S., we saw the Moderna and the, and the Pfizer vaccine roll out first. Any reason this was the vaccine of choice? And before this blood clot issue, did the AstraZeneca vaccine have a smooth rollout? Well, again, the, the AstraZeneca vaccine got a lot, lot of uh, good publicity early on. Um, and it had the imprimatur of Oxford University scientists along with it. Also, AstraZeneca had said that uh, it would sell the or make the vaccine available on a not-for-profit basis, at least until the vaccine, uh, rather the pandemic was declared officially over by the WHO. So there are a lot of nice pieces in place and all of which sounded good. Um, and, and AstraZeneca is based in Europe, so it had sort of, I wouldn't say a home advantage, but there was um, a very uh, favorable, they were fa- Europe was favorably disposed to look at AstraZeneca as a lead option for getting through this, this crisis. Was- Here in the U.S., the, the uh, Operation Warp Speed, as it was called by the uh, Trump administration, was working with different, co- uh, different companies, di- striking different kinds of agreements to get vaccine supplies uh, in place for the United States. And AstraZeneca um, is just one. As you mentioned, they they have a stockpile, but it's not been granted uh, emergency use yet, authorized emergency use by the FDA, as the other vaccines have. As Americans have heard, we can get a Pfizer vaccine, a J&J vaccine, a Moderna vaccine, once there's enough of them. Um, But AstraZeneca has not yet been granted that status. Nonetheless, uh, the U.S. decided as you mentioned, to keep that stockpile in reserve for the time when the FDA does grant that status. So, um, but right now, um, that's, of course, in question. All right, Ed Silverman from Stat News, we appreciate that insight on the AstraZeneca vaccine. Thank you. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, Stiefel Chief Economist Linza Piazza, Piazza lays out how improving economic trends could sway the Fed with its latest policy decision, And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, just go ahead and do it. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And a reminder, March is Women's History Month, and we are spotlighting some of our CNBC contributors. Here's Requisite Capital's managing partner, Bryn Talkington, with advice from some famous Texas women. Ann Richards, former governor of Texas, used to say in a crowded room that Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did. She just did it backwards and in high heels. Beyonce, she always says, never let success go to your head. And more importantly, never let the failures go to your heart. And finally, some dime store advice from me. Work smarter, not harder. Most important, believe in yourself, because if you believe, you will be believed. All right, turning our attention back to the markets, the Federal Reserve is set to conclude its two-day policy meeting today with expectations for no change in interest rates, but language around inflation and accommodation will be key. Joining me now is Stiefel Chief Economist Lindsay Piegza. Good morning, Lindsay. Thanks for being here. Good morning. All right, we're going to jump right into it. Um, later today, Jeb, uh, excuse me, Jay Powell, I was about to say Fed Powell, Jay Powell, he's going to have his news conference. Um, what are you expecting to hear from him when it relates to stimulus and perhaps more importantly for the markets when it comes to the Fed's accommodation policy? 
Well, you're right. We're not expecting much in terms of the policy announcement itself. We are looking for rates to remain unchanged, as well as asset purchases steady at $120 billion a month. But really where the excitement comes in is the press conference and the updated SEP, or, or Summary of Economic Projections, where we could see the committee actually upgrade its forecast for growth in light of the president's latest $1.9 trillion stimulus, uh, potential additional stimulus coming down the pipeline, and of course, an expedited vaccination process. As far as the press conference, we do think that he will be pressed on the Fed's, or excuse me, the president's latest rescue fund and whether that was a net positive for the economy or if additional funds are needed. But the big focus, as you mentioned, will be around the latest reaction in the market and rising inflation expectations. Now, the Fed has danced around that more recently, suggesting that the recent volatility is not something to be concerned of. And in fact, if it is later deemed disorderly, the Fed is willing and able to step in to control uh, additional volatility in the market or specifically longer term yields. But as of right now, the Fed does not seem concerned about inflation with both headline and core readings uh, still well below the Fed's 2 percent target. So, Lindsay, the Fed does have a dual mandate uh, to deal with, you know, the cost of things and also unemployment. So with inflation at about 1.7 percent over the last year, but real unemployment closer to 10 percent, that's according to Jay Powell just a couple months ago. How do they fulfill that dual mandate going forward? Well, it, right now, there really is no incentive for the Fed to adjust policy. Uh, as the chairman has been very clear, the economy is still struggling to gain momentum from these low levels that we've seen uh, since the onset of the crisis. As you mentioned, the civilian unemployment rate reported in that non-farm POR report is much lower, around 6%. But if we look at some of the, the lingering unemployed, if we look at some of the Americans that have dropped out of the labor force, that number is much higher. So from a full employment standpoint, the Fed doesn't feel pressure to raise rates. On the inflation side, yes, we are inching closer to that 2% level, but we also have to remember that the Fed's framework around inflation has been adjusted. They're now looking at a flexible average inflation target. So essentially giving the Fed more wiggle room around inflation, potentially allowing inflation to run hot, at least temporarily, again, before adding pressure to the committee to lift off of these low rates. And in fact, with inflation at just 1.3% on average since 2015, the Fed could essentially allow inflation to push closer to 25 or even 3% for the next several years and still not exceed that longer-term average of 2%. So translating into uh, what this means for rates, lower for longer for quite some time, I would say. All right, Lindsay, you certainly take a longer view. Before we let you go, I, I just have to ask, uh, you know, we know that press conference comes at about 2.30 this afternoon. How do you see the markets reacting with what you expect Jay Powell to say? Well, as we do look for the Fed to sort of back off of these fears of inflation, the market may read this as the Fed taking a, a relatively nonchalant look or nonchalant position to inflation, which may exacerbate some of the, uh, the recent backup activity that we've seen in the market. Of course, we've seen the 10-year yield back up about 80 basis points since the start of the year, and we could see at least uh, somewhat of an upside uh, risk or volatility after that press conference if the market misreads or doesn't interpret the Fed as strong on inflation control. Lindsay, we got to leave the conversation there. Thanks for being here this morning. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only 
on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.